Our scripture reading today is Luke 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for Christmas and the story of this revolution of Jesus being born in a manger um, for us. Uh, I pray that you may remove any blinders we might have uh, with the cultural blinders or social blinders or religious blinders that we have before we approach the story. Help us embrace the message you have for us today. I pray this on your son's name. Amen. Uh, my name is Larry. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church, and it's a joy to be with you all today. Uh, yesterday, if you're not aware, we had this Christmas market, the affordable Christmas market, and uh, in this event we hold every year, which we sell new or gently used toys to people at discounted prices. And I just want to say, if, if that was you, if you came by because of this market and today you're here, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad you're here to join us today. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I had a blast, you know, volunteering. I, I love meeting people. I love seeing people buy gifts. I love seeing our own church members mobilized and volunteering and serving this way. And, uh, and I love to even just get to know some of the people from our own church that I never got to know. Get to know some people from the neighborhood I never got to know. So I hope you enjoyed your time. You know, the, I was thinking about this, this event and, and the concepts. If you really think about it, the concept behind this event is a very strange thing. You know, somehow we convince you all to buy gifts for people you don't know, and somehow we've convinced others of you to spend time volunteering, baking food for people you don't know, and wearing Santa hats for people you don't know, and wrapping gifts for people you don't know, and uh, making coffee for people you don't know. We, we somehow we've convinced a lot of you guys to do that, and the, and then the church doesn't even keep the money, but we donate it to the Hamden Family Center. So, so it's a very strange thing. Why would we do something like that? Who does stuff like that? Well, people who understand the meaning of Christmas do stuff like that. Because the, the story of Christmas is about the Son of God doing just that. Giving away things, even His own life, for those who don't even know Him. Jesus chose not to give away just food or money or time. He chose to give away His own life to people who are just strangers to Him. That's the revolution of Christmas. We're currently going through this sermon series titled Revolution, the birth that changed the world. And last week, Pastor B, he read through Luke 2, 1 through 7, and how God chose for Jesus to be born in this insignificant town of Bethlehem. And today we'll be continuing on with that story. We'll read Luke 2. uh, uh, Daniel just read Luke 2, 8 through 11. And in this story, we learn about this angel appearing to some shepherds in the middle of the night and the angel tells them good news. Christ the Savior is born. And this morning, I want to show you why this is a revolutionary message. I'm going to just reread 8 to 9 real quick. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Have you ever thought about the strangeness of this story? You know, we've probably all heard songs about this. We've seen Christmas plays about this. We've seen decorations about this. So sometimes it doesn't seem very strange to us anymore, this, this story. But I want to suggest that 
we have been indoctrinated, Pastor Dan touched on this a little bit, we have been indoctrinated by all these commercialized nativity scenes and these Christmas decorations that I think we've lost the beautiful strangeness of this story and that this story is actually pretty revolutionary. And why is this strange? It's a simple fact that when the Son of God was born, God sent an angel to announce the birth to some random shepherds. Okay, and this is strange for two reasons. Okay, Number one, the first reason why this is strange is that God invited strangers to the birth of Jesus. God invited strangers to the birth of Jesus. When you look at photos of today, today of people, you know, they just gave birth. Of, I've never given birth, but I imagine some people, they, they've given birth. And when you look at photos of the aftermath of what has happened, who do you see in these photos? You see a baby. You see the mom. Sometimes you might see a dad. You might see some friends or nurses. You never see random strangers. You never see random strangers in these photos. You know? But the shepherds, who are total random strangers, they got the invite to this nativity scene. So picture this scenario. You have, you have Mary giving birth to her first child. Just imagine her praying to God. God, it's great and all that uh, my husband is here at, at birth with me, but do you, do you know what would really you know, be awesome? If I had some random strangers in this room, some shepherds in particular, that would just really complete the nativity scene. That it is, that's very bizarre. She probably wasn't thinking that. Most likely, the scene was more like this. She, she just gave birth. They're having this intimate moment with the baby. And, and the shepherds come in, and they would go, Who are you? And they just, Oh, we're some shepherds. This angel told us to, to come here. We were, he said we were invited. That's, that's very strange, right? That is a very strange scene. What a bizarre scene. And so that's the first thing that's strange, that God, that God would invite strangers to this birth. And the second thing that is strange is that of all the people God could have invited, God chose to invite shepherds. Because, you see, at this time, shepherds, most shepherds had a reputation of being untrustworthy and unclean. Most shepherds at this time, they had a, this reputation of being untrustworthy and unclean. Why is that? Well, at the time, the way the industry of shepherding worked is that the owners of sheep, they would hire shepherds in order to watch their sheep and in order to take care of the sheep in rural areas. Most of the time, these owners, they necessarily they didn't necessarily live in rural areas, so they would send their shepherds out to watch their sheep in, in rural areas out in the countryside. And sometimes, these shepherds would live months at a time in these rural areas with these sheep in isolated areas, sometimes without supervision for a very long time. And as a result, people developed this mentality of, oh, maybe these shepherds are stealing from the sheep. And sometimes it was true, sometimes it wasn't. But uh, uh, the, the reality is, shepherds were often accused of stealing from the very flock they were watching. So much so that people, when they see shepherds selling things like wool or, or goats or milk, Sometimes people would say, they would caution others, don't buy from those shepherds because those actually might be stolen goods. And although some shepherds were probably honest men, from a social standpoint, shepherds were simply not trusted back in those days. In some communities, they weren't even allowed to be witnesses in the court of law because they were so untrustworthy. And on top of being untrustworthy, they were also considered ceremonially unclean. Because shepherds were always living out in the wild, because the Jews, they had strict laws about interacting with unclean animals, and because the Jewish laws, they had listed certain laws, uh, certain animals as unclean, and if you came into contact with them, you had to go through this cumbersome process of ritualistic cleaning. Well, these, these shepherds, literally, they were spending all of their lives, practically, with things like 
lizards and mice and bats and snails. All of these are unclean animals. And so shepherds of those days, they had this reputation of just being unclean people. In fact, one Jewish commentator wrote, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. He wrote, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. And even Jesus himself, as an adult, later he contrasted himself with hired shepherd hands. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And so even at the day when Jesus was saying something like this, it was commonly understood, if you were a hired hand, you weren't trustworthy. You just weren't trustworthy. And... It was this discredited and disreputable group of people to whom God announced Jesus' birth. It was to this group of people that God announced Jesus' birth. And this is even more strange because in Jesus' day, shepherds were among the last people to hear any news. In those days, the only way you could hear the news is if a traveling merchant or some government messenger came by announcing the news. And if you lived in a small town, that was pretty rare. People just don't have you on the map, so they don't come by giving you the news. And if you were a shepherd in the middle of nowhere, people almost never came and gave you the news. But here, with the birth of Jesus, perhaps the most important historical event in history, these shepherds were the very first to hear the news. So think about this. The God of the universe, for the first time in human history, was going to take on human flesh. And in this grand entrance, God chose to make this grand announcement not to kings, not to princes, not to religious leaders, not to priests, but to random shepherds in the middle of nowhere. You know, if my wife had big news, you know, I don't know what these news would be, but if, if hypothetically, she had big news, and if I wasn't one of the first people to know, I'd feel a little bit slighted. I'd feel pretty hurt because I'd feel, you know, I'm in your life. You know, I know you, I've loved you, I've spent time with you. And so why would she tell all these other people before she would tell me? And I imagine that's how some people back then might have felt. You know, let's say you're a Jew living in Jesus' day, and if you heard about this scene where these angels appear to shepherds in the middle of nowhere, you might feel a little bit confused. You might think, you know, if the Son, was, the son of God, if the Messiah was being born, this is pretty noteworthy stuff. You know, I would imagine God would want to communicate this to a lot of people. Or if he had to choose a few people, he would choose the people with the most influence, with the greatest number of connections, the most power, or whatever. So why would he appear to shepherds, people with no influence, no connections, no power? And, and, and secondly, maybe you might not even feel confused, and maybe you feel offended, especially if you consider yourself a morally upright person, if you consider yourself a religious person. Because you, you feel, you know... I've worked hard to get here. I've worked hard to... to I, I, you know, I've earned money with honesty and integrity. I, I tried hard to be ceremonially clean. And uh, when I, even when I'm not uh, clean, even when I'm unclean, I make the appropriate steps to be right with God again. I go to the temple regularly. You might be thinking all these things. And then... And then so why is it that when God all of a sudden uh, appears, He appears not to me, but to these shepherds? It's not just that you didn't get the invite. It's that these random people who you feel like shouldn't have gotten the invite, got the invite. 
Why would God do such a thing? How is it that a shepherd can get an invite, but I don't get an invite? Well, think about it another way. Why would God invite anybody at all? Why would God invite anybody at all? Here's the thing. There is nobody to whom God owed an invitation. There is nobody who can claim, standing in front of God, God, I deserved an invite. There is nobody in his or her natural state who can stand in the presence of God and say, God, I am clean before your eyes. There's nobody who can say, I am not unclean. There's nobody whose sin has not also made him a stranger to God. Everybody in the eyes of God, in his or her natural state, is no better and no different than the shepherds of Jesus' day. The shepherds of Jesus' day may have been on the bottom rung, on the social ladder. And so people higher up on the social ladder, they might feel justified in looking down on these people under them on the social ladder. But the whole ladder, from top to bottom, is unclean in the eyes of God. The whole ladder, from top to bottom, is unclean in the eyes of God. And so the strangeness of the story is not just that God invited shepherds, that not just that God invited random people. The strangest of the story is this. How strange is it that we, random, unclean, strangers of God, have received invitations into the kingdom of God? How strange is it that all of us, regardless of who we are, where we look at ourselves, how we look at ourselves in front of other people, regardless of who we are, how is it that all of us have received invitations into God's kingdom? That's a strange thing. And that's why... If an angel appears in front of you today, your first reaction will probably be pretty similar to these shepherds. Verse 9, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And here's the thing. When you encounter the angel of the Lord, and when the glory of the Lord shines all around you, you will be filled with great fear. You know, it's unfortunate that in... uh, in today's culture, we, we've turned angels into essentially these um, chubby babies with wings. Okay? That, that's just, when we think of angels, we just think of chubby babies with wings. But in the Bible, there is never a scenario in which someone encounters an angel and they think, Oh, wow, you are very cute. That never happens. In every, almost every scenario, when someone encounters an angel, people are scared out of their wits. They're filled with great fear. In fact, in the chapter right before this, in Luke chapter 1, there's a scene where a man named Zechariah, he encounters an angel, and it reads in Luke chapter 1, starting from verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. That, that's, that's the common experience with someone who encounters an angel. And, and I want to ask, why is it that when we encounter angels, hypothetically, why is it that when we encounter angels, our natural response often is fear? Well, I think there's, a, there's another story in the Bible that points to this, that helps us out, and that's this passage in Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah, he comes face to face with God and his angels. And again, Isaiah doesn't say, God, I didn't, I didn't realize how cute your angels are. He says this in Isaiah 6, 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So the reason why Isaiah felt so lost, so ruined, so overwhelmed, is because he realized he was unclean. He realized 
that he, maybe sometime in his life, he might have looked down on other people for being unclean. But him, standing before God himself and his angels, he is unclean. And the glory of God's holiness caused him to realize his own uncleanliness. And he realized how distant and separated he was from God. On a normal day, most of us, we don't feel too unclean. You know, we, we, sometimes we make mistakes, but for the most part, many of us, we don't feel too bad about ourselves. We are, maybe we're relatively good employees, maybe we're relatively good parents, maybe we're relatively good friends, maybe we're relatively good church members. And so on a day-to-day basis, we don't feel too unclean. But when we are standing before God, and we are comparing ourselves to God, then it doesn't matter whether we are relatively good. What matters is whether we are absolutely good. And we're not absolutely good. Sometimes it's easy to feel good about yourself when you're comparing yourself to the shepherds of society. But when we encounter God, then we realize what matters is not how good we are compared to other people, it's how good we are compared to God. And when we are in the eyes of God, we will realize we are all unclean. When we encounter God, it shakes us out of our self-righteousness. We realize we're just shepherds in front of God. We're all the same. But thankfully, the story goes on. In verse 10, the angel said to them, Fear not. And why is it okay not to fear? He goes on, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So why is it okay not to fear? Because God is offering good news of great joy for all the people. And what was that good news? That Jesus is born. And why is this revolutionary? Here's why this is revolutionary. The world likes to draw boundaries. We love drawing boundaries. We love categorizing people and stereotyping people. We like to say, this person is in, but this person is not. This person is attractive, but this person is not. This person is powerful, but this person is not. This person is is, is a winner, but this person is not. This person is invited, but this person is not. The world, we love drawing boundaries like that, but there is one boundary that matters, and that is the boundary between God and us. That is the only boundary that ever matters. And most of the world is so concerned with all these horizontal boundaries that we draw between one another, that isolate each other, we blame each other, we criticize one another, that we fail to see there is this vertical boundary between God and us. And that is the only boundary that matters. And what happened to that boundary? God bridged that boundary by sending His Son Jesus to be born on our side of the boundary as a human baby. Do you see that? Unlike us, God chooses to bridge that boundary. Why? In order to save us. Not in order to condemn us, in order to save us. In in order to save just the best of us, just a few of us? No. In order to save all people. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And it's, it's, it's it's a violation, it's a protest, it's a revolution against our current system in which we like to exclude people, we like to divide people by drawing these boundaries. It's Jesus saying... I am going to cross this boundary and I'm going to unify you to me. And it doesn't matter if you're socially untrustworthy. It doesn't matter if you're religiously unclean. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right connections. It doesn't matter if you don't have things put together. It doesn't matter if you are a stranger to God. The good news is for you. It's not just for the powerful, not just for the rich, or the moral, or the stable, or the put together, the capable, the competent. The good news is great joy for all people. 
the nativity scene is meant to be an assault on worldly attempts to draw cultural boundaries by reminding us random shepherds were in the presence of Jesus at the day of his birth, and you are given the opportunity to be in the presence of God as well. It's a claim regardless of who you are, you are invited into the presence of God. Even if you typically aren't invited to anything, even if you typically aren't welcomed into anything, even if you typically don't hear good news, you are invited. You are welcomed, and the good news is for you. Maybe some of you might relate to that. Maybe some of you, you long for that. Maybe you felt like, you know what, my life is just filled with so many mistakes, or I felt like I've let God down over and over, and I've secretly given up, or I I feel like I've wasted my life, I've spent my life and my money or my time and my energy on the wrong things. And you're at a point in your life when you, you question whether or not God wants you. The story of Christmas is that God does want you. Because God wanted the shepherds, He invited the shepherds, and God wants you too. For others of you, maybe your issue isn't necessarily that you it's hard for you to believe God wants you. Maybe your issue is that it's difficult for you to relay the good news to other people. Maybe you've fallen into this, world, this worldly system of drawing boundaries. And you're, sometimes you fall into this, this, you know, this, way, this mentality of criticizing others and blaming others and dividing people among others and categorizing and stereotyping people according to their mistakes and their flaws. And maybe you've built your self-esteem even, your self-confidence by putting others down. Maybe that's just the way you've done things. And maybe you think, you know, I got my mistakes, but it's okay. I can feel good about myself because I'm not like these people. Or for, the, for others, maybe it's just the mentality of blaming others. You know, maybe you think, if only this group of people got their act together, then whatever will happen. If, maybe it's, if this group of people got their act together, then our church will grow. Or if this group of people got their act together, then our neighborhood will be a safer place. Or if this group of people got their act together, then our country will be a better place. Or if this group of people got their act together, then, then we'll have world peace. And this is just a mentality of always blaming others, always criticizing others. Or maybe, for some of us, it's more subtle. Maybe we're not actively putting others down, but it's just this subtle, I don't really think about certain people too often. Because, you know, what? They're, they're just very different from me, and I want to just be concerned with me and with the people who are similar to me. And I think from a cultural standpoint, that's not that bad of a thing. But I would say from a spiritual standpoint, that is a very bad thing. And it's this mentality of just you don't spend your time learning about others. Don't spend very much time learning about the struggles of others. And you have this mentality of if it doesn't affect me, then it's all right. I don't need to concern myself with it. All of those mentalities is a direct violation of the nativity scene. The nativity scene is God declaring, I care for those who you don't care for. And I lift up the people that you put down. And I include the people that you exclude. Who is somebody in your life that you might look down upon? Maybe you can't stand them. Maybe they annoy you somehow. Maybe you ignore them. Maybe you don't think about them. Maybe you complain about them. Maybe you avoid them. Whatever the case. Who is somebody in your life you might look down upon? And I want you to think about it this way. What if the way you think about that person is the way God thinks about you? What if the way you think about that person is the way God thinks about you? Because if God had that mentality, then Jesus would never have been born. 
none of us would have been saved. Because there are plenty of things in our lives that God could have found very annoying and very unclean. But God intentionally chose not to ignore us, not to avoid us, but to send His Son to be born in our world. God intentionally chose not only to have His Son born in our world, He chose to send an angel to invite shepherds to be present at that birth. And we, in the eyes of God, are no different than those shepherds. And not only did God do that, but after Jesus rose again, He established a church in which God's mission to reach all people is continued. And the church is the place that looks out for the downtrodden, that lifts up the lonely, that cares for the oppressed. The church is the arena in which the revolution that began at Jesus' birth continues to this day. This Christmas season, I want you to ask yourself, how can you demonstrate God's heart to others? Sometimes we think about this idea of embodying the Christmas spirit. Embodying the Christmas spirit. Well, if the, if the story of Christmas is this revolutionary concern, this revolutionary crossing of boundaries to reach all people, then how can we demonstrate that this season? Maybe for some of you, there's somebody in this church that you might know, uh, maybe just by name, maybe you, maybe you forgot their name, but it's somebody you've seen a few times here and there. Maybe embodying the Christmas spirit is you just talking to them and inviting them over to your place for dinner. Maybe for others of you, there's a coworker, a neighbor, a friend who you've said hi a few times to. Maybe embodying the Christmas spirit is saying, you know what, I want to bring up a spiritual conversation with this person. Well, at the very least, you know what, there's a Christmas service, uh, Christmas Eve service, I mean, at 10 o'clock a.m. Maybe I'll just invite them to the Christmas Eve service. Maybe for others of you, your lives are pretty stable, generally. You know, you, you, uh, you have a re- relatively stable family or job, and maybe embodying the Christmas spirit means intentionally doing something that will make your life less stable. Maybe it's choosing to volunteer somewhere. Maybe it's choosing to increase your financial giving somewhere. Maybe it's going to the Haiti Info meeting after service you know, to learn about this opportunity we have coming up to serve in one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere. But here's what embodying the Christmas spirit does not mean. It is not to exert all of your time and money and energy on making sure that you and your family are safe and cute and protected. That's not the heart of the Christmas story. That is the American consumerism version of Christmas. And the true story of Christmas is much greater than that. J.B. Phillips, he once wrote a fictional story called The Visited Planet. And in this story, he talks about how there's a senior angel showing this younger angel around the universe and he shows them all these amazing galaxies. And this young angel, he's so amazed at what he sees. And, and then the senior angel, he shows him this small, unimpressive planet. And he tells this young angel that the great Prince of Glory once visited that planet. And I'll read what happens next. But how, queried the younger one, do you mean that a great and glorious prince, with all these wonders and splendors of his creation, and millions more I'm sure I haven't seen yet, went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? It isn't for us, said his senior a little stiffly, to question his wise, except that I must point out to you that he is not impressed by size and numbers, as you seem to be. But that he really went, I know, and all of us in heaven who know anything know that. 
As to why he became one of them, how else do you suppose he, could he visit them? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do, and I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For as strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. Why would Jesus do something like that? Why would the great Prince of Glory, the Son of God, become like a creeping, crawling creature? Because the good news is for the creeping, crawling creature. Because God's heart is for the creeping, crawling creature. Because a creeping, crawling creature is invited into the presence of God. Here's the story of Christmas. Jesus became unclean so that he could enter our presence, so that we who are unclean can enter the presence of God. Jesus became unclean so that he could enter our presence, so that we who are unclean can be brought into the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the revolution that is Christmas. God, we want to apologize that we've taken your revolutionary story of Christmas and we've turned it into a nice, cute, lovely, peaceful, calm thing. And we forget that your heart is for those we look down upon. Your heart is for the poor, the unclean, the broken, the despicable. And your heart is for us. And that is a revolution we sometimes forget when we are so indoctrinated by all these worldly messages of just being comfortable and being safe and being cute. Thank you so much for Jesus, that Jesus chose to take on our uncleanliness, that he chose to become unclean in order to make us clean. And God, we want to apologize that we've drawn so many horizontal boundaries against people we look down upon, whether by race or by class or by money or by morality, religiosity. We've drawn so many cultural boundaries and we overlook the fact that there is one boundary that matters and that is a boundary that you bridge in order to reach us. Thank you for unifying us and for empowering us to become a church, a church where your revolution continues. And I pray that we would never lose sight of that revolution. I pray that when we go to church, we won't think primarily in terms of how can I benefit from this? How can I feel safe? How can I be loved? And I pray that we would be empowered to think about those who are not in this church, to think about those who are not yet part of this revolution. People who don't know you yet. People who you want to save, that you long to save, that you chose to have your son become a, boy, a baby, a human baby in order to save, who are not yet saved. Thank you for this opportunity that we can live out your heart to reach all people. Thank you. You've given us this opportunity to bring good news of great joy to all people. I pray that we would take that mission seriously. Thank you for the story of Christmas. And I pray this all in your son's name. Amen.